Hello and welcome to the Hay Festival podcast. And for this last episode of the series, stars of literature, stage and screen come together to celebrate the unique power of words in our very special Hay 2021 gala. Join host Natalie Haynes for this evening of joy and celebration with guests including Stephen Fry, Louise Brearley, Hafsa Zayan, Maggie Ederin Pocock, Rob Bryden, Clemency Burton Hill, Juno Dawson, and many more. I'm here in the British Library to present an opening gala with a difference. For many of us over this past year, books and reading have been a distraction, a solace, a companion. We wanted to celebrate that by asking some of this year's festival stars, along with some very special guests, to share some of the works that have carried them through in the darker moments of the past 12 months, as well as readings from some of the new books we'll be launching at this year's event. Now to kick us off, it is my great pleasure to welcome tonight's first reader. We have one of Britain's best loved poets, writers, lyricists, musicians, and star of Peaky Blinders. It's the magnificent Benjamin Zephaniah, who's going to read one of his own poems. People will always need people, will always love people. People need people to walk to, to talk to, to cry and rely on. People will always need people to love and to miss, to hug and to kiss. It's useful to have other people. To whom will you moan if you're all alone? It's so hard to share when no one is there. There's not much to do when there's no one but you. People will always need people. To please, to tease, to put you at ease. People will always need people. To make life appealing and give life some meaning. It's useful to have other people. If you want to change, to whom will you turn? If you want a lesson, from whom will you learn? If you want to play, then you'll know why I say. People will always need people. As girlfriends, as boyfriends, from Mumbai to Ostend, people will always need people. To have friendly fights with and share tasty bites with, it's useful to have other people. People live in families, gangs, posses and packs. It seems we need company before we relax. So stop making enemies and let's face the facts. People will always need people. Oh yeah. And the Hay Festival will always love people. Oh yeah. Louise Brealey is an actor and writer who tonight reads a letter written by Elizabeth Philippoli, the editor of From Women to the World, Letters for a New Century. Dear Daughters of the World, as I write these lines, humankind is in many ways dangling above an abyss of uncertainty. The pandemic has been a shocking body blow to the world. It is in these times that I address you, daughters of the world as warriors and guardians and our hope for the future. There may be differences between us but let us not allow otherness to separate us. Our similarities are many and they bond us together regardless of who we are. I write this letter as an ode to each one of us, every born or yet unborn daughter, a tribute to every woman who has been brought into this world, whether born to a young girl, a rape victim, a child, bride, or a 50-year-old mother, to the daughter of an adoptive parent or an uprooted refugee giving birth alone in a camp 
somewhere in the world. Plant the seeds of your uniqueness. Trust your heart, your inner compass. Each of us is matchless, unequaled. Dare to dream. Set your feelings free. Let your ideas fly. Rise up. Never compare yourself to others, nor allow others to compare you to anyone else. What makes you vulnerable will be your strength. So carry your uniqueness with pride. Aim for the world in its entirety. Embark on your own odyssey. Be Ulysses in the form of woman of whom stories will be written and told. You have survived wars, rape, homelessness, betrayal, racism and so much more. And through your pains, our pains, let us lift the veil and see that skin colour, race, class do not define our humanness. When we close our eyes, we see no colour. When the world comes close to its end, we realise we are one. All we need is to feel the warmth of a hand holding our own. You have my back and I have yours. This is humanness. Time passes before we know it. It slips through our fingers like sand. When you look in the mirror, sometimes you will see the girl that you know, and other times you will see a woman you may not immediately recognise. Her movement no longer has the same briskness. She stares at you and her eyes reflect the endlessness of this world. Every crease on her face is a memory of what was survived and what was achieved. Symbols of a life well fought, a life well laughed. A journey whose destination is to be found among the pains and the blessings. Both women are real. Together they went through a lot, so let them live in peace, side by side. Remember that our similarities are many, and they are our bond, regardless of who we are. See you in the mirror. Onwards. Elizabeth. An evening of hope wouldn't be complete without this next poem. You'll recognise our reader from the films Amazing Grace, Atonement and One Day, and the BBC series Emma, The Hour and The Miniaturist. Romola Garay is one of Britain's most exciting actors, making her directorial debut last year with Amulet. And tonight, she's sharing one of her favourite poems by John Keats. When by my solitary hearth I sit, and hateful thoughts enwrap my soul in gloom. Where no fair dreams before my mind's eye flit, and the bare heath of life presents no bloom. Sweet hope, ethereal balm upon me shed, and wave thy silver pinions o'er my head. Whene'er I wander at the fall of night, where woven boughs shut out the moon's bright ray, should sad despondency my musings fright and frown to drive fair cheerfulness away, peep with the moonbeams through the leafy roof, and keep that fiend despondence far aloof. Should disappointment, parent of despair, strive for her son to seize my careless heart, when like a cloud, he sits upon the air, preparing on his spell-bound prey to dart. Chance him away, sweet hope, 
or visage bright, and fright him as the morning frights the night. Whene'er the fate of those I hold most dear tells to my fearful breast a tale of sorrow, O oh, bright-eyed hope, my morbid fancy cheer, let me a while thy sweetest comforts borrow, thy heaven-born radiance round me shed, and wave thy silver pinions o'er my head. Should e'er unhappy love my bosom pain, from cruel parents or relentless fair, oh, let me think it is not quite in vain to sigh out sonnets on the midnight air. Sweet hope, ethereal balm upon me shed, and wave thy silver pinions o'er my head. In the long vista of the years to roll, let me not see our country's honour fade. Oh, let me see our land retain her soul, her pride, her freedom, and not freedom's shade. From thy bright eyes, unusual brightness shed. Beneath thy pinions, canopy my head. Let me not see the patriot's high bequest. Great liberty, how great, in plain attire, with the base purple of a court oppressed, bowing her head and ready to expire. But let me see thee stoop from heaven on wings that fill the skies with silver glitterings. And as, in sparkling majesty, a star gilds the bright summit of some gloomy cloud, brightening the half-veiled face of heaven afar, so, when dark thoughts my boding spirit shroud, sweet hope, celestial influence round me shed, waving thy silver pinions o'er my head now for one of the most exciting debut writers of 2021. Hafsa Zayan won the inaugural Murky Books New Writers Prize in 2019, and her novel, We Are All Birds of Uganda, was released at the start of this year. As well as that, she's found time to graduate from both Oxford and Cambridge and practice law for a while. No night of literature would be complete without a few readings from the great bard himself. So here we go with our first. Let me not, to the marriage of true minds, admit impediments. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, is an ever-fixed mark, which looks upon tempests and is never shaken, it is the star to every wandering bark, whose worth's unknown, although his height be taken. Love's not time's fool, though rosy lips and cheeks within his bending sickle's compass come. Love alters not with his brief hours and weeks, but bears it out even to the edge of doom. If this be error and upon me proved, then I never writ, nor no man ever loved. Holly McNish is an award-winning poet. Through lockdown, she kept us entertained with her live-streamed poetry readings. But tonight, she wanted to share a poem particularly close to her heart. Today is yes, please, and now, to zipping your skin around me, to wrapping up in you like a winter coat with matching scarf and walking barefoot on powdered snow. You, 
The flakes squeeze in between my toes. The biscuits I brought to snack on are your bones baked and sweetened. Like counting stars, I do not think I will ever be done kissing you. Honey, all over and deep inside, I will swallow your dancing tongue. Take your daydreams into my night dreams, or noy wave heavenly, ethereal gleam on wet tarmac. Enemy of the rain which fell between us, which has no business being there. Other days, a text message or quick chat on the phone will do just fine. I never can tell. We're heading further afield now, beyond our earthly limits, with Maggie Adderin Pocock, space scientist extraordinaire. She's reading from the work of the astronomer poet Rebecca Elson. Sometimes, as an antidote to fear of death, I eat stars. Those nights lying on my back, I suck them in from the quenching dark till they're all, all inside me pepper hot and sharp. Sometimes instead I stir myself into a universe still young, still warm as blood. No outer space, just space. The light of all the not yet stars drifting like a bright mist and all of us and everything all there already but unconstrained by form. And sometimes it's enough to lie down here on earth beside our long ancestral bones, to walk across the cobble fields of our discarded skulls, each like a treasure, like a chrysalis, thinking whatever left these husks flew off on bright wings. Another festival regular is up next, reading an extract from her new book. Juno Dawson is a best-selling novelist, screenwriter and journalist. She might have appeared at more hay festivals than even I have, and I basically sleep in one of the tents outside every year. I frown as I feel a familiar fuzzbuzz wash through my head. How do you know so much about me? And exactly how much does he know? I know a lot about everyone as it happens. Except you, you're a bit of a blank canvas, Alice. Good. I've worked very hard to keep it that way. I didn't go through ten years of feeling like a freak to become a freak show attraction at St Agnes. Roll up, roll up and witness the terrifying transsexual you read all about in the tabloids. It feels like I'm melting, becoming one with the cushion underneath me. And what's that supposed to mean? I want to tweeze it out of him without admitting a thing. I just think it's fortuitous that we happen to meet. As a St Agnes girl, I know your academic history. Such early promise. Thank you. Such low yield. I wrinkle my nose but can hardly argue with that. I know what websites you access from the computer labs, K-pop and kittens mostly, and your stunning lack of extracurricular participation. I know your family history, rags to slightly more impressive rags. Hey now. And I know you have an unexplained school absence from about a year ago. You had almost three months off. Intriguing. It really isn't. Burst appendix. I lie, and I don't know why I lie. My mental illness should be no harder to admit to than the physical one I just invented, and yet... Willie is seemingly fobbed off. But who is Alice? There must be more to you than blue hair. I'm a little blindsided. An autumnal fog rolls through my head and I'd love nothing more than to fall asleep. But Willie has irked me now. 
I wasn't aware I posed such a conundrum. You can't possibly be as dull as you seem. Well, I mean, that's a concern, isn't it? I remember lying in the hard bed at the unit, digging through the detritus in my head, wondering if there was anything to me except tablets. Am I destined to be defined by a maximum of one word, transgender, or two words, transgender and mad? Willie prattles on. I suppose there's the Alice you think you are, and the Alice others perceive. Perhaps the real Alice exists somewhere between the two. You sound very stunned, I say. I am, very. But I'm also right. It fascinates me. Christ alive, stunned people are tedious, but I'll bite. Why? I find everyone else's motivations quite easy to understand. Love, money, revenge, etc. But what brings you to Wonderland, Alice? These people aren't your friends, and this definitely isn't your scene. Is it yours? I ask. It's my business to be here, and don't answer questions with a question. In that case, I shall ask him what his business is in a moment. I'm looking for someone, I admit. Yourself, or someone else. We couldn't really offer up a night of hope without the following poem. You'll recognise our next reader from Line of Duty, Call the Midwife and Wolf Hall. But Jessica Rain joins us tonight to read Emily Dickinson's Hope is a Thing with Feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard and sore must be the storm that could abash the little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chillest land and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity. It asked a crumb of me. Next, we hear from rapper, author and winner of two MOBO Awards, Governor B, who is reading from Musa Okwonga's one of them, an Eton College memoir. In my hometown, I reach an age when the police begin to see me, and it does not come with a warning. For much of my early life, I will happily approach them in the street to ask for directions. And then at one point in my teens, my relationship with them abruptly changes. My mother has given me her bank card so I can take out some money for her for that afternoon shopping. And so I walk along to the local bank on the high street. The cash point is out of order and the bank branch is shut, so I walk over to the copy centre to print out a short story I've been working on. Upon leaving the copy centre, I catch sight of the police who have just arrived in the forecourt and they make eye contact with me. You there, they say. I stop, turn and walk over to them. Can I help? I say. There's been a robbery in the area, they tell me, and the suspect is someone with my description. Me, I think. A stumbling, awkward teenager who would come off badly if accosted by a mild breeze. But I haven't done anything, I say. I was just trying to get some money out of the bank for my mum. Come over to the car, please, they say. They make me put my palms on the roof of their vehicle and my jacket falls open, making it easier for them to search my pockets. They take out my mother's bank card. They are parked next to the main road and so people are going past the scene on foot and in their cars and when I catch their gaze, I see that expression on their faces. Oh, he's one of them. The police let me go, and I'm only a few metres from my front door when I realise that I'm shivering, as if I have a light fever. 
My mother opens the door and my voice is suddenly hoarse as I tell her what has happened. And now I am 13, I feel as if I am 10, crying as I speak. Tears have a particular heat when they are wept out of shame. I could almost see the steam rising from them as they descend across my cheeks, and my head is lowered as I look at my mother through their glaze. I stand there as she calls the police station and tells them how upset I am, and they tell her that they were just doing their job. They will always just be doing their jobs, but it is interesting that none of my close white friends at home or at school ever seem to have similar experiences, even though over the years several of them will be far more familiar with illegal acts than I ever will. Back to Wales now as we welcome actor, comedian and writer Rob Bryden. In 1994, although the voiceovers were flourishing, my acting career had stalled. With so much of my CV taken up with presenting, corporate and voice work, it was almost impossible to be taken seriously by any casting director of note. In desperation, I asked my old friend Dougray Scott if he would mention me to anyone who might be able to help. Within days, he'd managed to arrange a meeting with Mary Selway, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, casting director in Britain. She had cast, amongst others, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Return of the Jedi, and Out of Africa. When I went in to see her, she was working on the Richard Gere, Sean Connery, Arthurian adventure, First Night. I sat down in her office at Twickenham Film Studios and tried to look like a film star. Struggling to contain my nerves in the presence of this legendary and rather formidable woman. We chatted for a bit about Dougray, casually singing his praises, as I smiled in a relaxed fashion. Inside, I was shouting, give me a part in this film. She looked through the casting breakdown, a document detailing the roles in the film that still needed filling, before glancing back at me. Now then, she said to her assistant, what have we got for Rob? Marauder? I like this. I'd never thought of myself as a marauder, but Mary had obviously seen something in me, a hint of the uncaring, brutal savage that other, less imaginative casting people had failed to spot. I was going to be a marauder. How exciting. Her assistant looked unsure, though, and studied my CV with a furrowed brow before turning back to Mary and reminding her of my limitations. Five foot seven, she said, with a degree of concern, perhaps even sympathy in her voice. Oh, purred Mary. I sat up as straight as I could in the chair. What about a villager? suggested her assistant. There followed a moment or two during which it was evidently decided that there was no height bar when it came to villagers, and so I was handed a sheet of paper on which were printed some lines belonging to First Villager. This, again, was a good thing. He wasn't Second or Third Villager. He was First Villager, the king of the villagers, the focal point of village life, the big cheese of the community, possibly even chair of the neighbourhood watch. There weren't many lines at all, and they seemed to involve this poor First Villager pleading with an unnamed baddie to spare his life while all around him evil henchmen began to pillage his village, as per the instructions of the chief baddie, who was to be played by Ben Cross of Chariots of Fire fame. No mention was made of my subordinates, second or third villager, 
but even the most optimistic reader would have to suppose that they would be lucky to avoid a similar predicament. Sadly, as I scanned the page, I could find no mention of Lancelot or Arthur, the roles to be played by Gear and Connery. A video camera had been set up in the office, and I was instructed to deliver my lines straight down the lens, after which the tape would be sent off for consideration by the film's director, the very hot Jerry Zucker, fresh from his success with Ghost. Oh boy, this is it, I thought to myself, as I looked at the little camera, get this right and you're in films. I began my performance by allowing a worried look to spread, at first imperceptibly and then, very perceptibly, across my first villager's face, before uttering the line, No, please, please, no, I beg you, please. Uh. Now this last word was not to be found in the script, it was my own invention and preceded a bold and ambitious mime, conveying to the viewer the arrival of an arrow in my young chest at which point my eyes widened in horror and I slumped forward to a grisly death. My performance over, Mary thanked me for coming in and promised to be in touch. I smiled a smile that I hoped she might recognise to be that of an as yet undiscovered film star and left. A couple of weeks later, my wife and I were at Wimbledon. Her boss had given us centre court tickets. As Andre Agassi cruised to victory, my phone vibrated with a message telling me that I'd got the part. Agassi won a point, and I cheered as though he'd won the tournament. Our next reader is as much a part of Hay Festival as bunting and shepherd's ice cream. Clemency Burton Hill is a broadcaster, author, novelist, journalist, and violinist. Many of you will know that early in 2020, a brain hemorrhage left Clemency unable to see, talk, or walk. Yet she has defied medical expectations to relearn all three. So we might add superhero to her resume. We're overjoyed to have her back with us to share her reading. This being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a crowd of sorrow who violently sweeps your house empty of their of his, of it furniture. Still, treat 
each guest. Oh, 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 honorable, honorable, honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and let and invite them in. Be grateful for whom, whoever comes, for each has been sent as a guide for from beyond. Our penultimate reading tonight is going to come from a very, very special guest. Me. I've chosen to read you a book by Robert Krauss. This is the first book I read to my niece when lockdown was over. It's a story of finding a way not to be alone, even when you think you are. Whose mouse are you? Nobody's mouse? Where is your mother? Inside the cat? Where is your father? Caught in a trap? Where is your sister? Far from home? Where is your brother? I have none. What will you do? Shake my mother out of the cat. Free my father from the trap. Find my sister and bring her home. Wish for a brother as I have none. Now whose mouse are you? My mother's mouse. She loves me so. My father's mouse from head to toe. My sister's mouse. She loves me too. My brother's mouse. Your brother's mouse. My brother's mouse. He's brand new. Next up, actor, director, writer, and Hay Festival president, Stephen Fry. The trees are coming into leaf, like something almost being said. The recent buds relax and spread. Their greenness is a kind of grief. Is it that they are born again and we grow old? No, they die too. Their yearly trick of looking new is written down in rings of grain. Yet still the unresting castles thresh in full-grown thickness every May. 
Last year is dead, they seem to say. Begin afresh, afresh, afresh. The Hay Festival podcast is sponsored by Bailey Gifford Investment Managers, and you can hear the full gala event and over 8,000 others over on the Hay Player on our website. That's it for this series. Thanks for listening. <laughs>